G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Without God, life is chaotic, meaningless, worthless. Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue his message called Politics. We've heard about the three culture types, theonomous, heteronomous and autonomous societies. Today, Pastor Jeff delves deeper into the repercussions when a society turns away from seeking God's favour and protection. I'm telling you that I'm not nervous because God will give us the leader who will do one of two things. Either one, they will turn our hearts back to Him, or two, they will show us what life is like without God. This is Today with Jeff Vines and the conclusion of his message, politics. This is the social dilemma for most Christ followers. Now, let me say again, you don't have to agree with anything I've said. I, I'm not, that's not my point. That's not why I'm here. I'm just simply telling you, these are the law. These are the way cultures are built. And the reason that we're in such disarray and chaos is because we don't have an ultimate point of reference. This is the sociological dilemma for Christ followers. What do you do when our moral points clash with other people? How do we respond? But then there's a theological issue. Let's say somebody comes to me and says, I have a problem with you Christians. Again, listen very close. I have a problem with you Christians because you, you are generally against racism, but when it comes to homosexuality or lesbianism, you discriminate because you won't allow them to marry or you like, at least that's what you want to suggest. Now, let me say two things. One, just because we stand for a moral code or law doesn't mean we hate anybody. You understand that? We hate no one. We love all people. But we also love our country. And because we love our country, we, were, we want a theonomous culture. I didn't say Christian. Now, we, we would like that, but we're not foolish enough to believe that you can legislate morality. But we do want a culture that's theonomous where there's a respect for a sovereign God and an ultimate point of reference for morality. So if somebody comes to me and says... Why do you Christians stand against racism, but you discriminate against same-sex marriage? And listen carefully. The reason we believe that discrimination against ethnicity is wrong is because ethnicity and race are God-given and are sacred. You do not violate a person's ethnicity or race. You don't tell a black man he should be white or a white man he should be black or treat either one with contempt. That would be a violation of God's sovereign choice. Your race is a sacred gift given to you by God. Now the reason we believe in absolute sexuality is that sexuality is also sacred. It is a sacred gift given and sovereignly chosen by God. The Bible says God made them male and female just as he made them black and white. So sexuality is sacred. Race is sacred. And the question we Christians have to our culture, not out of anger, and you'll never, you won't find us holding side, God hates anybody. 
But the question we have is, why do you treat race as sacred and desacralize sexuality? So sociologically, we Christians have been put in a conundrum. The God of our forefathers is not the God our present-day leaders want. And so much of our nation, especially where the influences are concerned, have removed prayer from public schools, the Ten Commandments from public halls, and have violated the words of Scripture in culture and practice, all under the guise of separation of church and state, which has been so horribly defined from its original context. I don't have time to go into that. I've done that in the past. But we Christians are in a conundrum. Folks, there have been 58 million, 586, 256, 586,000 babies aborted since 1973. Over 58 million babies. That's 1.3 million per year, every year. And we're still doing live birth abortions in this country. So when somebody says to me, are you telling me that these are the best two candidates we have to offer for president? My response to you is, I don't know, because we've killed 58 million others. God may have sent us a president a long time ago. So Christians are in a bit of a conundrum. Since the campaign to remove God from the public arena, violent crimes have increased in America 560%. Divorces have more than doubled. The percentage of children in single-parent homes has tripled. Half, almost half, of American births occur out of wedlock. Almost half. And the United States leads the industrialized world in murder, rape, and violent crime. And our elementary school students rank at or near the bottom in tests of math and science skills. And the average SAT scores in our high schools has dropped 75 points. Bill Bennett says that in 1940... Teachers identified the top problems in America's schools as talking out of turn, chewing gum, making noise, and running in the hall. In 1990, now that's still 30 years ago, teachers listed drugs, alcohol, pregnancy, suicide, rape, and as assault. And assault is the number one concerns. Now please listen. Christians believe that our forefathers intended to emphasize the sovereignty and blessings of God. Let me go back again. Listen to the words of John Adams and John Hancock. If you ask an American who is his master, he'll tell you he has none, and he has no governor but Jesus Christ. John Hancock said, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. And George Washington talked about the impossibility of governing any world without God and the Bible as the roadmap. In fact, George Washington said this, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. This is precisely why we took, or look rather, for leaders who will govern under God. As Christ followers, they don't have to agree with everything we believe. They don't have to go to the same church we go to, even attend the same denomination. But when election times come, we as Christ followers are simply Attempting to take great delight in knowing that the person we elect is a God-fearing man or woman. And it is important to the majority of Christ's followers that the people we elect are pro-life, pro-biblical marriage, and pro-all classes without discrimination. And the reason is, is because that's what the Bible teaches. So don't get too mad at us if you don't agree with us. Besides, I thought we were an autonomous culture. 
If we're autonomous culture, then I have just as right to believe what I want as you do. Who are you to tell me what I have to believe if this is who you want to be? Don't get angry with us. We have a faith and we stand on our faith. We don't hate anybody, but these are deep issues to us. Christ followers believe in the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, and the sanctity of people. We believe that God is not an enabler, that he removes his hand of blessing when we violate the precepts of his word. So sociologically, we also feel we're in a conundrum. We know that we are theonomous people living in an autonomous world. We see the breakdown happening in our land right now, and we don't know what to do about it. We know that autonomous people hate theonomous people because autonomous people do not want to be told how to live by anybody. Not even by God himself. Theologically, we're in a conundrum because we're desperately trying to figure out how to respond to people who disagree with us in a loving, kind way without alienating them from us. In some ways, I wrote this this past week, we feel like we are trying to throw out the lifeline to drowning people who are shooting at us. People who are saying, I don't need your rescue and you self-righteous punk. But we do. All of us. We're motivated for our love for God and our country and we're trying to figure this out. And we're, we're trying to ask sociologically how, or socially, how do we deal with all this? And unfortunately, only the crazy Christians get the press. This Westboro Baptist Church down in Florida. Think about how much, how much sense does it make to, to bomb an abortion clinic? How much sense does it make to kill people because they're killing people? <laughs> but they're the exception. They're not the rule of evangelicalism. But they're the ones who get the press. That's why I like things like Triple X Church. Yeah, there's a such a thing. Because rather than stand across the road and say, you're going to hell because you're in prostitutional pornography, these are young women who go in and come alongside the ladies and get involved in their lives and pray with them. And are there for them and show them a way out. Because what we've discovered is most women do not want to be, or men, in that kind of, of organization. But feel trapped and know of no way out. I didn't say all. I just said many. And most evangelicals desire to redeem the culture, not to separate from it. Jesus left his home to go find the sinners. We believe we should as well. And it starts, we know, with us because we're sinners. We live by this code, 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among the people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Okay then, what do we do then? What do we do? I just wanted to explain, this is where we're coming from, but now we as Christians, what do we do in the midst of this election? Number one, vote your conscience. And don't let anybody tell you how to vote, including your pastor. You vote your conscience. And you vote the values of your faith. And sometimes it does mean the lesser of two evils. But that's your individual choice to determine which are the lesser of two evils. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We're hearing Pastor Jeff's message on politics about voting as believers and trusting God is in charge, no matter who rises to power on the earth. Remember these three things. Number one, 
The ascension to power of anyone within the sovereign will of God has everything to do with the spiritual temperature of the people themselves at that time. In other words, God will give America the leader it needs right now. Do you really think, Pastor Jeff, that God is involved? Absolutely. I know of no other way to see the Bible. The Bible teaches me that when there are generations that begin to violate the moral law of God, that God takes measures that will begin to steer the ship back on course. Let me read to you this passage. It's probably the most important passage in this context. It's out of Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, I know a lot of you, I've already lost you because you don't think God should ever be angry. And that's because you've created God in your own image. If God is God, he should be angry at injustice. He should be angry when people die unjustly. And so should you. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people were without excuse. In other words, you should be able to look at the stars in the sky, the constellations, the depths of the ocean, the mountains, the, the beauty and pattern and design that come out of a chaotic world and recognize there is a God. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Man, what a line. Malcolm Muggeridge said that we have educated ourselves into imbecility. What a great line. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. But listen to verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Ours is a world where there is a mindless drift into more and more decadence. But it's not the first time. It's not. And it won't be the last. And God in his grace often chooses withdrawal over punishment. So God will withdraw and hand you over your to depravity to let you do whatever it is you want to do in an autonomous culture so that sooner or later you may come to your senses and realize that without God, life is chaotic, meaningless, worthless. That's the cycle in the Old Testament. God would give affluence. It's like the four turnings in the history of the people of Israel, right? God would bless them with affluence, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then they would what? Forget God. And they would start worshiping idols and chasing after things that are created things. And God would tell them to repent, but they would not. And then they would move even further away from God, more toward an individualism, rather toward a dependence on God. And then what would God do? He would send in the Assyrians. God would say, okay, if that's the way you want, I'm going to withdraw my hand of protections. And then a foreign army would come in and possess the land and they would be dispersed until they cried out to God and repented and then God would restore. What does this have to do with our present elections? You have to ask the question, Christ followers, what season are we in? What needs to happen in our country to bring us to an end to ourselves, to repent and pray so that God will hear us from heaven and restore our land? I'm telling you that I'm not nervous because God will give us the leader who will do one of two things. Either one, they will turn our hearts back to him or two, they will show us what life in America is like without God. 
And God will remove his hand of protection and our children, in order that our children may have their eyes open, hopefully in the next generation, to the ramifications of life without God, and as a result, pray that the winter will end and the spring will return. But make no mistake, time is cyclical, and God is patient, but history is ultimately his story, and he will allow fall and winter to come in order that we might repent, turn back to him, that he can bless our nation. God is able to work in all corners of the camp, no matter who gets elected. Have you read the Bible? Joseph was positioned within the inner circle of Pharaoh by the sovereign grace of God for the purpose of saving the nation from extinction. Without Joseph, the king would have not prepared for the coming world famine. Had the king not prepared for the famine, all of Israel would have been lost through starvation and disease. Had starvation wiped out the nation of Israel. The lineage through which the Messiah was to come would have been eliminated. Joseph, therefore, because of his relationship to Pharaoh, saved an entire nation. God's plan always comes to fruition every single time. You can clap at that. That's okay. It's okay to clap from here on out. It won't won't segregate. Winston Churchill said this, Democracy is the worst form of government, except for all other forms of government. (laughs) The beautiful thing about democracy is that we in America have no dictator. The president is surrounded by advisors and checks and balances. And I'm telling you that God can send to Joseph someone to influence whatever laws are being made. And you and I as Christians... Get off Facebook with hate, man. Stop the vitriol. We're different. We believe that God can work, and we love all people. We even pray for those people we think are our enemies. Esther was positioned in the inner circle of King Xerxes during the Persian period of history. The king was so overwhelmed. You think it's accidental that the king was overwhelmed by the beauty of Esther, who was a Hebrew. He didn't know that, so he called her to live in the palace. And then one day, Esther's uncle Mordecai overheard Haman, the king's right-hand man, speaking of a plot to commit genocide against the Hebrews. So Mordecai talked with Esther, who was a Hebrew, and perhaps could save the Hebrews as she approached the king. Listen to the words he says to Esther. For if you... Remain silent at this time. Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai's challenge to Esther is simple. Perhaps God placed you. Perhaps he made you gorgeous. Perhaps he made you catch the eye of the king. So that you would be in the palace for such a time as this. And perhaps God has given you favor with the king so that you can influence the king and ultimately save the people of God from extinction. By the sovereign grace of God, Esther was placed in the middle of a vile and atrocious middle circle for the purpose of goodness and salvation. Now one more quickly and then I'll finish. As far as you know. (laughs) Russian history records a dramatic moment in the 19th century. There was an evil, self-indulgent czar. And this czar 
He appointed an extremely liberal archbishop. You, you might even say the archbishop was atheistic. Galitzin was his name. And the Tsar believed that if he could appoint Galitzin to this archbishop position and ruler over a nation, over the religious code of a nation, that through the archbishop he could shake off all the moral restraints because this archbishop would help him. He was atheistic. So, he anointed him, elected him, put him in religious power, but something happened that the Tsar did not plan on. Galitzin found Jesus. <laughs> Jesus revealed himself to him while he was in power, and that changed everything. While the armies of Napoleon were putting Moscow to flames, Galitzin's spiritual impact over the Tsar made a difference so that the Tsar fell on his face in St. Petersburg in a church that still stands today and prayed that God would spare his people and the city. And over the next few days, a harsh winter came over the land and Napoleon had to retreat and the city and the people were saved. Galitzin had been an instrument of God in such a time as this. The ascension to power of anyone within the sovereign will of God has everything to do with the spiritual temperature of the people themselves. Two, there is a circle of influence and the bastions of power within which voices completely unknown to the electorate will emerge. And it's essential that we remember there are many voices in places of power, not just one, and that God can find a yielded heart who in turn can turn things around. I know you feel struggle, and so do I. If you're a Christ follower, there ought to be an incredible tension in who you're going to vote for. There ought to be. So what do we do? As Christ followers, here's what we do. We do what the Bible says. I urge you then, 1 Timothy 2, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. As a Christ follower, here's, what here's your job. Pray that God send a Joseph or an Esther to whoever gets in office. And wish the president well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Matthew 5. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute. Wish them well. That means you're not saying, I hope somebody takes them out. I hope you know that's not a Christ follower position. Because <laughs> you have no idea what God's going to do with whom where. No vitriol on Facebook or Twitter or social media. Please, we're supposed to be different. Stand for what is right. Pray for the people who stand for what is wrong. Wish them well. I didn't say wish their policies well. I just said wish them well. And who knows that God will send an Esther or Joseph. Third and finally, and this is the end. You've been so patient. The city of God will always impact the city of man. But only the city of God endures forever. Quite frankly, I don't know why some of you are so anxious. It's like you're, all your hope and trust is in this kingdom. What's up with that? I know that you love America. So do I. I bleed red, white, and blue. But am I all torn up? No. You know why? Because God will still be on the throne after the elections. And I'm citizens of another city that is eternal, that has no end, whose king is always good. And if WikiLeaks ever leaked what God has been writing to his son, it would be how much he loves every single one of you.
Augustine wept when he heard that Rome had fallen to the barbarians. And as he wept, and as the barbarians climbed the wall to destroy the so-called eternal city, a transforming idea invaded Augustine's mind, and he penned one of the greatest books ever written called The City of God, the city not made with human hands. There are earthly cities, earthly nations, powerful and strong, said to last forever, whose broken stones and failed walls speak of their temporariness. But then there's the city of God that is indestructible and cannot be brought down by human will. It is the place every single person who's ever lived knows down deep inside is real. It is the city to which all other cities point. It's the reason we know things are not quite right down here. It's the place for which our heart truly longs. And so perhaps it is important for those of you Christ followers who are so stressed out that I remind you that the kingdom to which you ultimately belong is safe and secure. But our citizenship, said the Apostle Paul, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus told the disciples in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That was his message about politics, about God being in ultimate control, whatever the season in earthly societies. You can hear more messages from Pastor Jeff right now by heading to vision.org.au and searching for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.